Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode three of the Camera Shake podcast with Nick Kirby and me, Kirsten Nuts, the photo and video podcast coming at you straight out of isolation into your eardrums. We'll be talking about talk life in isolation, what's happening in the world outside, and if we're lucky, we'll hit on photography too. Hey, Nick, how's it going? Going all right, man. It's going all right. How about yourself? Not bad, not bad. How's the whole isolation malarkey treating you? It's been all right. Um, I have to admit that I've taken a bit of a break over the last uh, week or 10 days or so. Just try to relax. I think uh, in all honesty, I was working myself a little too hard to try and compensate for the lockdown. And I felt kind of exhausted. So I've taken a break. Now I'm back at it, feeling raring to go. I guess uh, on one hand, you could you could think you're you're quite lucky that you're still working, actually. Do you think? Well, yeah, it's a really good point. Very fair point. Yeah. Um, which I'm, I, you know, don't get me wrong, I'm very, very thankful for. But um, yeah, I try. I've definitely pushed it a little too hard. So uh, taking taking a break, trying new things, doing a lot of exercise too. So um, yeah. I think that's been taking its toll. But now I'm feeling fresh, good to go. So my wife and I just recently started a, a couch to 5K program, which essentially, <laughs> which basically gets you off the couch and it gets you running a 5K uh, five kilometer run, um, and you do it in increments. So you do a number of different training sessions um, throughout the week, and then after so many weeks, you'll be able to run five k. So it's been a little while since I've been um, doing any long distance running, so it's a good way to get back into it. Yeah, you know, so that's yeah. that's that's our fitness regime <laughs> for the moment. Well, you're better than me. <laughs> I'll take that. I can barely cycle for a mile. <laughs> Yes, I mean, this is actually, to be honest, this is the other thing I found, um, you know, during this whole lockdown thing. As a family, we we are uh, cycling a lot more than we did last year. Huh. Yeah, because I remember last year, you know, I remember thinking um, we didn't really get the bikes out very much. But this time we seem to be cycling like every week, you know, just like around the lake and, you know, um, and that's the thing. So not, you know, again, not massive distances or anything, but it's, mm. um, yeah, it's quite fun. And it's, you know, it's a family activity, as it were. So, yeah. So, how far have you got on the couch to five k? What um, what distance have you got to? Well, it's, uh, the way it works is that you you kind of cover five k more or less, um, but you there's uh, there's a, you know you walk for a bit and then you run for a bit, and the amount of walking is larger or bigger than the amount of um, of running. And over time, over the weeks. You basically decrease the amount of walking and increase the amount of running. So it probably, I mean, all in is at the moment, it may be like three and a half K or whatever the total distance is, but it always, it kind of lasts for about half an hour, roughly. Mm -hmm. So I remember doing this years and years ago when I first started getting into running. It's like, you know, I don't know, 15, 20 years ago, whatever. Um, and it was a really good program, actually. So it literally turned me from being a non-runner into being able to run 5K quite easily. You know, it only takes. Oh, I, I need to do the same. Yeah. All, all I've, I've been doing general kind of sort of weights and things like that at home, but very little cardio. Mm. Um, and just funny enough, just before lockdown, um, uh, I went for a, a long, well, a two mile run, in fact, is what it was. And uh, I walked for just over half of it, all in all. Mm -hmm. I, I wanted to die after. I felt so sick. My, my cardio is not there yet. One day, one day, I might do something like what you're doing. 
Yeah, it's it. It's going. actually yeah, it's good. I know quite a few people who are um, who started doing that. But um, mm. yeah, I mean the whole gym thing. I'm, I can't wait to get back to the gym. It's just yeah. I, I just can't motivate myself to um, do any kind of weight workout at home. You know, that's yeah. that's what it seems to be. But on the plus side, it seems like you know my creative brain is uh, going into turbo overdrive. So uh, I keep coming up with lots of lots of little uh, creative ideas. But that's quite what, what what else have you been doing the last uh the last couple of weeks? Well, mainly I've just, just there's been a lot of um kind of you know little photo projects that I've been thinking about and I've been working a little bit on the website and you know, doing little bits here and there and I I'm just I keep coming up with with ideas. Um one one of my little projects uh, at the moment is to just uh, you know to kind of build up my office space at home. So mm. that's uh mm-hmm. one of the things I've been focusing on. So nice. Um, because, you know, well, we're all working from home and probably will be for the foreseeable future. Um, so I just kind of need to turn it more into a place that I can spend, you know, a longer extended time in. You know what I mean? So I need to kind mm-hmm. of make it more comfortable. And, and you know, yeah. I was thinking about lighting it and making it creatively pleasing, as it were, you know. And, and that's the thing, right? If you go into a space that, makes you feel good and you like and enjoy being in yeah. you just you'll you'll go and do it you'll go and be there and you'll automatically be in a creative mindset when you know, I, I worked yeah. in um yeah i worked for amazon for, for for like 15 years and um that's you know, why you go to an office because it puts you in that work mindset working from home and being self-employed and doing the kind of things that we do um, you need to create that kind of environment at home, and that's got to be a work-focused type environment, but it's also got to be a creative type environment. Yeah, I find that's that's really quite important because you know, as a photographer or, or videographer, you know, I think by default we're all visual people. Right. So uh, you know, at the moment, it is just sort of my makeshift kind of office space at home. I'm pretty much looking at a white wall, <laughs> so it's not it's not the most <laughs> inspiring thing. <laughs> um, but you could call it a blank canvas, you know, but it's just not doing it for me. Um, so I've been thinking about um, different options. And of course, then the, the next question immediately is like, where can I get the stuff from? You know, mm. um, because Amazon, you know, ordering stuff from Amazon can get you so far, but then there's other bits and bobs. Like I'm thinking of some, you know, recycled wood and blah, blah, blah. And it's all places, the places that I would ordinarily go to, to, uh, to source that kind of stuff, are just not open at the moment. So. Yeah, yeah. I've wanted to, you know, do the kind of thing that you're you're describing for a while. But I've I've been in rented accommodation for for a while now, so it's limited with what I can do. But when I do own my own place again, I want to. I kind of want an area where one wall is, it's kind of all reclaimed wood. Yeah, you know. So you've got slats of wood going all the way across the wall, and just that. I like that kind of feel. I love wood. I'm much like yourself. I know you love wood as well, and. That makes me feel good, you know, yeah. having wood. Not like a sauna, but a little stove in the corner. Yeah. But it, it makes you feel good. And that's the kind of thing that makes me feel creative and just, you know, different things around me related to what I do just inspire me. Yeah. I think that's that's really important. It's to kind of create an inspiring space. That was kind of the kind of, sort of the phrase I was looking for earlier, I think, is just to create something that inspires you to be, uh, you know, even more creative and just makes it easier, I think. Um mm. Mm. You know, that's, that's been, that's been kind of my, more or less, you know, the focus of my attention really for the last week. And it's, yeah. you know, like a really simple example um, is, you know, I do a lot of 
or I create a lot of uh, little videos at home. And uh, at the moment, I have to mix them. I have to mix the audio uh, in headphones. And it really gave me a massive headache the other day. I kind of think I can't do it. So, you know, just creating a space where you've got some, you know, decent speakers set up and you can do uh, all the audio mixing on those. It would just make a massive difference. It's a little thing, you know, but it's, it'll make a yeah. difference. And I think all this is sort of amplified because, you know, we're all stuck at home. So it's these little things that all of a sudden become more important. Yeah. You know, so yeah. that's kind of, yeah, that's sort of what I've been doing. Um, and then, you know, photographically, uh, I've got to think I've got a photo shoot coming up um, where I have to, which is a socially distant um, property shoot. There's nobody there. But so I've got to start thinking about that. Um, and other than that, yeah, that's pretty much it. Nice. I that's went nice. to the Moors the other day to fly my drone just for fun with my daughter. <laughs> yeah. Awesome, so, man. What have you been up to? Uh, well, like I say, I've tried not to do as much this um, last week or so. But um, I haven't actually done a huge amount of video or um, photography work. Um I've done a li- quite a bit more audio um, work, right. as you know, I also do. Um, you know, one of the things that um, you know, uh, work that we do at the moment is we've taken 170 submissions from students where they've played um, a piece of music somewhere over the rainbow. Mm-hmm. They've all recorded it on their phone. So this might be a flute part, a violin part, a whatever part it might be, guitar, bass, drum, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And they've recorded their piece and I've put all that together this week and tried to make it sound like one orchestra in one room. Yeah, that's massive. I f- think I've succeeded. Yeah. Given the parameters of the recording, uh, it's worked out really, really quite well. So I'm very, very pleased with that. So that's, that's come together come together great. And what a you know great idea for a project for students during the situation that we're in. Yeah. Still able to kind of contribute and you know work as a group with other musicians has yeah. been absolutely fantastic. I hope uh, the next one comes along quite soon. Explain explain that to me. Um, so the kids have been recording parts by themselves or, or, or with the help of their parents yeah. at home, mm-hmm. and I'm guessing. Not everybody has like a you know a professional recording setup at home. So have they been using phones or how do, how has they been recording that stuff? That's a- absolutely right. So the, the the basic steps have been a piano backing track was created mm-hmm. um, by one of our teachers. The student um, would download that backing track, and they would play that backing track on whatever device they they want phone, laptop, iPod, whatever. Does, do people still have iPods? Um, iPod, whatever it might be, and they would listen to that through headphones. Only the people that are still on MySpace have iPods. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and so they would be able to listen to that through headphones. Mm-hmm. There's a counting at the start, and all we get them to do is clap during that counting, mm. okay, so that when they're recording, we can I, I can line that up as best as I, I can, so it's in time. Um, but they will use, if they have a record, uh, an interface, they can record it that way. Fantastic. If they don't, most people, I think maybe 90% or more of the submissions were just done on their iPhone or Android phone using a memo app or something like that. Okay. And we gave them just general guidelines on how best to position that, where to be in the room, 
to try and make the most of that, that recording. And then we just hit record on that, press play on the other device with their headphones in, so and just start playing along to the backing track. And that was it. And it worked really, really well. Awesome. It is, yeah. it's, I'm always impressed when, you know, uh, I hear about like creative projects um, happening at, at the moment, you know, under the, the sort of lockdown kind of conditions that, that we're all in. Because obviously your initial thoughts, you know, when you first, when we first got into um, lockdown, at least my, my initial thoughts were it's like, oh, no, you know, I've got these ideas and now I won't be able to do any of it, you know, mm. because, you know, you can't co collaborate with other people in the way that you used to and you can't, you know, go on locations um, that you had planned on uh, shooting at and all that kind of stuff. And mm -hmm. and you immediately think like, you know, all of that's now gone, gone down the drain. But the reality is, you know, before long, I think you come up with with new ideas. At least that's what I've experienced is that, you know, I've been able to come up with with new ideas and doing things at home. Um, yeah. And it's been uh, actually, in many ways, it's been quite inspiring. So, you know, I've, I've quite enjoyed the, um, I don't know, the sort of more inward looking type of creativity, if that makes any sense, mm -hmm. you know. And I, I think when, uh, I, I completely hear what you're saying. Um, and I think when this is all over and, you know, in a few months time and life is generally getting back to normal, mm. I'm, I, I hope, but I think that we'll remain this way in, in the way that we think about being creative mm. and we won't, we'll, we'll have a better idea, if you like, of how to go about being creative if we don't want to go out and do something with someone or find people to work with. We can still do things at home and be creative and connect. Uh, much like we're doing today, right? Yeah. Um, and still have that outlet. We don't have to be in the same room to get yeah. things done. It's opened up a whole new world for everybody, I think. Well, so this was actually, there was an interesting conversation that we had um, the other day, really. Um, so just for just for clarity and understanding so that our uh, listeners know what we're talking about. Um, every Wednesday, we run a Zoom uh, camera chat type of thing, which we call the, the, mm. uh, the photo video chat. Um, it's a Zoom session. Uh, all the details are on, on our Facebook page, uh, and people can just kind of link in and uh, and talk about photography. And we'll talk about, you know, we normally talk about uh, creative projects in lockdown and all that kind of. But anything goes, and it's it's really meant for anybody who's got any interest in photography or video, uh, no matter whether you're a beginner or a pro or you're somewhere anywhere in between. Um, and it's just a, a way to exchange you know, yourself with other like-minded individuals, as it were. And it's been really quite good, hasn't it? It's been, um, it's, Loved it. yeah, it's, it's been, uh, it's been good to, to talk to other people and just see, uh, and hear how they're doing and, uh, you know, at this time and yeah. what kind of ideas and projects they've come up with. And, uh, it's been, yeah, it's been quite inspiring actually. There's been some really good ideas floating around. It really has. And, you know, I, I think in last week's, um, session that we had, we had, um, we had someone on who had almost never picked up a camera before mm -hmm. and had just borrowed, um, an SLR from someone. And on the complete other end of the spectrum, we had someone who is a pro full-time photographer. Yeah. And everybody was learning a little summing off everyone else. And, you know, a, a little, a little thing that, you know, made me feel quite, quite good about myself and kind of demonstrates that, you know, you know, people do want to think the same way about things. And just because they're a pro photographer doesn't mean you don't also have 
good ideas. You know, I don't do photography full time, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I was just explaining how I, you know, all those years ago went about learning how to learning my camera, mm-hmm. and I stuck myself on Aperture Priority. I yeah. stuck Auto ISO on, and I just learned what Aperture did and how I could manipulate Aperture to get yeah. the effect that I want. Then I moved on to Shutter Priority. And it was what was really, really cool is the feedback from um, who we had on as a pro photographer was that, that she thought that was a great idea for someone to learn and hadn't really necessarily thought about doing it in that way before. And that made me feel really good that, you know, maybe my approach to how I go about these things is the right, is a good way of doing it. And something that I'll, I'll be sure to pass on to other people uh, in the future. Yeah. It was also, you know, what I found interesting was that it, what became clear very quickly was that like everybody's in the same boat in a sense, you know, no matter how experienced or inexperienced you are, no matter whether you're a beginner or you're a pro, you know, there are days when you, or weeks, you know, where you sit around and you kind of go, I haven't picked my camera up at all. I can't think of anything. I've shot everything in my garden a hundred million times over every ant, <laughs> you know, every blade of grass. And that's really, I can't think of anything else to do. And everybody has those days. Sometimes you just you just try to come up with something and you just can't. Um, and mm. it was good to good to hear that you know that's the same for everyone, no matter whether you're you know a beginner or whether you're um, whether you're a photographer and it's or a pro photographer. And at the same time, of course, you know it's also easy to get inspired just by talking to somebody. You know. Yeah. Um. So, you know, it was uh, yeah, it was I think all around it was a really uh, valuable um, valuable chat. You know, good hour. You know, if you don't have anything else to do. Wednesdays, every Wednesday, two o'clock, two o'clock, Greenwich, British Mean Time. What do we call our time zone? Is it Greenwich Mean Time? Is it GMT? GMT? Is that what it is? I don't know. Greenwich Mean Time. Greenwich Mean Time. Yeah, Greenwich Mean Time. (laughs) So um, anyway, that's the time here in Britain. We may be years behind in many things, but that's what we call GMT. Right, so here's a really interesting story that I came across. Just talking about uh, creative projects to do whilst you're in lockdown. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's this uh, there's this LA-based photographer called Dave Cox, and what he does is so he's obviously he's worked out that um, there are a whole bunch of really cool old you know cool looking cars um, around his neighborhood, and so he's decided to go out during uh, during lockdown. Uh, to go out at nighttime and light paint those uh, those automobiles, and uh, the the images that he creates are incredible. Mm. But it just looks so cool. If you're into cars or into car photography, I would say uh, you know definitely something to check out. Nice man. So how how does he go into a bit more detail about how he goes about doing it? Um, yeah, what's it? Maybe not everyone knows what light painting is. I guess. Yeah, so light painting is essentially where you take multiple exposures of the same um, subject, like a car, for example, yeah. and you move a light around every time you take another shot. So you you essentially light uh, individual parts of the car separately, and then in post you put them all together. You literally blend them together, so you get you know one image of the car that seems to be evenly lit, mm-hmm. but um, it's just a composite of a number of different um, different shots. In fact, we did a similar project, um, a car project, not too long ago. It was actually, it's only a couple of weeks maybe before lockdown, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Remember? It was pretty close, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So there's different ways that you could, that you could do that. Um, he uses like a sort of a neon light type of a thing. Okay. Um, 
And uh, so that's one way of doing it. The other way of doing it is to to use like a long exposure and essentially uh, move the light through the frame whilst you're uh, you know whilst whilst your camera is exposing. So that way you uh, you know you light up a stationary um, object like a car. And because you're moving through the frame, you won't show up mm. as it were. Yeah, that's that's the other way um, of doing it. I guess they, I bet they give quite different looks. Yeah, they're completely different looks. Um, it's it's a really fun thing to uh, to experiment with. Um, what's important, you know, especially if you have um, a subject that's in front of some kind of interesting background, uh, the important part there is to uh, to make sure you take a separate shot of the of the background. So mm-hmm. your settings might be completely different for the background, um, but then again, you composite the two together, so you have you know a well lit main subject like the car uh, in front of of a background that's also exposed. In the way that you want it to be exposed, mm, mm. that's kind of the way to do it. It's it's, a, it's an interesting technique. Um, he does it by night. Obviously, there's no other people around. It might be a bit weird. I don't know if he's ever been caught. <laughs> I wonder but if he's asking permission. Can you imagine some dude with a neon light <laughs> and the camera <laughs> in your like on your driveway <laughs> making a picture of your car? Cool. Man. Uh, yeah. Oh, I'll I'll definitely check those out. They sound great. Yeah. So uh, Dave Cox, the name. And uh, he talks a little bit about how he does it. You know, if you're stuck at home, um, you know, and you can't think of anything to do, I mean, you could you could just practice light painting in your garden. You, know, you could light paint your barbecue if you wanted to. <laughs> you know, if it's it's just about. I mean, that might be the most awesome photo of your barbecue ever taken. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, just to do something different, maybe learn a new skill um, or a, a new photographic technique. You know, whilst you're at home. And whilst you maybe have a little bit more time than you would normally have, mm. that mm. might be a really good idea. Um, in fact, talking about this, um, it was my birthday recently, and my kids know that I'm not much of a landscape photographer, admittedly. Um, so they actually got me a a book on landscape photography, which um, you know gives me a lot of stuff to read up on and nice. uh, and hopefully a lot of lot of things to learn. So I'm looking forward to that. So you know, you can. You can utilize this time to just learn a few new skills. Well, and photography is such a wide subject. You know, it's there's such a wide range of different things, yeah. different techniques, uh, different types of photography that you get into. And even if you know, even if you've never um, thought, you know, you might want to dabble in like portraiture or something. Mm-hmm. You, know, you could uh, you could learn about that, and you could practice that, or um, you could photograph animals in the garden. In fact. Just coming back to the the photo and video chat, we had um, you know one photographer on that chat who was uh, literally lying in wait in his garden, you know, trying to trying to capture birds or squirrels or any kind of creature that would come by. <laughs> it's a way to spend your time. Yeah, oh, you need some patience for that. I'm I'm not sure I'm that patient at the moment. <laughs> Don't know if I could. Well, see, I always say this, you know. Um, obviously, being used to. Uh, to photographing concerts, you know, I always say like I have no problem staying up till four a.m. shooting a gig, mm-hmm. um, but I really can't see myself getting up at four a.m. to go out to sit in a field, look at a tree, wait for the sun to rise, and then take a picture of yeah. a tree in a field. Yeah, it's just. But you know, it's a new skill. I'm you know, looking forward to learning about that uh, cool. because it's very different. It's very different from you know shooting people and from photographing models. Or you know, it's it's a very different different type of yeah. photography, which is 
interesting. So, you know, well, I hope to start seeing to some landscape photographs from you in the, in the next couple of weeks. And uh, I may actually go out and do some light painting tonight. Now, now you've talked about it. Uh, <laughs> that has inspired me because uh, it yeah. sounds fantastic and what a great idea. I might even just go do my own car. I mean, I said, you know, we, I mentioned this earlier, we did um, um, a car project just before lockdown and that was, that was really just a practice run um, for a, uh, a slightly bigger project that was supposed to happen, uh, you know, a few weeks ago and obviously has been postponed. Mm, yeah. But um, we just used my car really to um, to practice the the technical side of that shoot. Mm. Um, and uh, that was that was interesting. It was interesting from a shooting perspective. It's also interesting from an editing perspective um, because it was such a, a large composite. I think it was over a hundred shots that that I composited together in the end to get the final mm. result. So it was, you know, it was an interesting exercise. Um, and of course, whenever you do a test run like this, um, that will help you in in the final project. It'll just help you to be quicker and more efficient. And you know, you kind of you've come across a number of the pitfalls in advance, so you kind of know something goes wrong you may already have an idea as to how to fix it so it's you know it's definitely a very useful thing to do and it's important to take that process from start to finish as well so you there'll always be something right at the end you go oh damn (laughs) didn't think of that and you'll be able to rectify that next time right yeah and it's it's like you know for the other aspect um to that of course is you know it will give you an idea as to how much time it's going to take you uh, to complete a project like that. And therefore, that might very well have uh, an impact on how much you might want to charge for a project like yeah. that. Because ultimately, you know, if you if you think, oh, yeah, I can probably do that in half a day and then it takes you three days, you've just most likely massively undercharged for that yeah. project. So there's, there are a lot of take-home lessons to be learned from, uh, from exercises like that. Yeah. So whenever I have a bigger project coming up, especially if it's something that um, is a little bit outside of my comfort zone, then I usually run um, a number of kind of dry runs like that just to familiarize myself with with a number of techniques. And every time I do that, I learn something new. Yeah. You know. And then the next time I have a project like that, I can go into it with more confidence mm-hmm. um, and get a better result. I mean, that's ultimately, you know, ultimately what you're trying to do. Yeah. 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 So yeah, it's wicked, man. Cool. So Nick, if you come up against something uh, interesting this week. Yeah, one one thing that crossed my um, crossed my path was um, there's a a team at uh, Caltech, and they uh, some time ago developed a camera which could take um, uh, ten trillion frames per second. But they've just upped that. Say that again. Ten. How, uh-huh, ten trillion. Um, yeah, I know. I, that that was my reaction as well. Uh, but now they've developed one that does seventy. Uh, no, I, I'm double checking this to make sure. Yeah. 70 trillion frames per second. That, it's just mind-boggling. Trillion. So these are, you know, you know, my first question to myself was, well, why? Why would you do that? And my initial reaction was, well, just because you can. And then I thought about it a bit more. And the reason they'll do it, they'll use it for things like looking at um, like uh, how the way, the way light moves um, in you know, great depth and... Uh, like nuclear fusion, things like that. That's where they want those kind of levels of frames per second. So that's what it'll ultimately get used right. for. And what was what I found really interesting was the speed of light is just under 300 billion millimeters per second. Okay. And if we're looking at 70 trillion frames per second, 
and you divide that by the 300 billion, you get approximately 233 frames for every millimeter of light that travels. So I'm trying to follow that. <laughs> that, that just right, okay. blows, blows my mind. Um, so every millimeter that light travels, they're capturing 233 frames of that, which is just unreal. Absolutely unreal. What's it, um, how does that work? What is the technology behind that? So they, uh, they're using lasers to, to right. be able to do it. Um, I, I, my brain doesn't really, really go all the way there, so I don't really understand all of it. Um, yeah. But yeah, so they're, they're, so using a pulse of laser light that lasts only one quadrillionth of a second. Didn't even know that was a word. Um, which break with, with optics that break up each individual pulse into a shorter light pulse. If you understand what all of that means, um, wow. so okay. that then creates the, the 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 image. It's just mind blowing that they're going to be able to do something like that. Two hundred and thirty three frames for every millimeter that light travels. Just can't I can't get my head around that. That's got to be the smoothest super slow mo you've ever seen. <laughs> Buttery smooth, <laughs> I, mean, yeah. I think you'd call that. <laughs> yeah. So, so maybe that'll be on the uh, the next Z series camera. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it seems unlikely, likely. but we can only hope. Well, it's funny you mentioned the uh, the Nikon Z series because uh, there's something really interesting I came across uh, this week. So one of the one of the bits of Nikon news out this this week. So remember, mm-hmm. Nikon came out with their mirrorless series, the the Z six and the the Z seven or Z six and Z seven. Uh, do you remember those? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They using mirrorless myself, I was really quite interested in those. Yeah, because from a photo perspective, you're sort of a Nikon shooter and, and so am I. Um, and uh, so, you know, having having invested a lot of money into uh, into lenses and everything, of course, I've been waiting for uh, a Nikon mirrorless to come out. But the problem that I've always had with the, uh, the Z6 and the Z7 um, was that, you know, a single card slot was just not doing it for me, really. Um, it was one of the one of the uh, little downsides, um, and although in the studio I could quite easily live with you know without a second card slot because most of the time actually you know you should tether straight onto the hard drive so it doesn't really make much of a difference. Um, but when you're uh, doing event photography, for example, you know, and especially if you're working for a corporate client, then you know, or you're on location, then it's, you know that having that security of a um, or a safety net of a second car slot is pretty essential, I think, these mm. days. So, mm. you know, that wasn't, wasn't going to be a risk I was going to um, get into. So uh, so I've been holding back, really, you know, with, with the Nikon-ness and the mirrorlessness. Um, maybe potentially until now, because Nikon have just, um, well, haven't really announced it yet, but rumors have been talking about the, the Z8 or the Z8, which is um, supposed to be the the kind of almost like pro-level um, Nikon mirrorless body. So that's how I see it anyway. So that should be an interesting thing because the, the specs sound really quite interesting. So get this, right? 61 megapixels. Full frame, obviously, a mirrorless camera. Um, so 61 megapixels is, is an interesting, um, you know, it's an interesting resolution or interesting pixel count. 
because it's it's definitely I think in my eyes it's definitely a studio camera. It's a high it's a high resolution camera. Um, it's not really going to be very fast. I'd be surprised if it's a fast, really fast camera that would be interesting for you know sports photographers, for example. Because usually the way these things work is the higher your resolution, you know, the more of a problem you have with data transfer. Each file is bigger, it takes longer to be yeah. transferred, and therefore, if you're um, if you're a fast shooter, like in a sports scenario, for example, then you know that usually doesn't really work out too well for you. So, um, sixty-one megapixels from my perspective actually sounds like an interesting thing, um, and uh, and it will have two card slots, so it could be a winner. Okay. Cool. Yeah, I mean, some, so how does some, the sensor size affect? Um, uh, you know, take yourself, for example, you know, you do a lot of low light photography, right? You know, concerts and, and those type of situations is, is that going to be an issue with that higher megapixel, uh, that bigger size sensor, or do you think that's not going to be an issue? I think for low light, no, I don't necessarily think so. I think, um, because I mean, traditionally, yeah, if you had a higher pixel count, then, um, the low light performance would be compromised a little bit, but I, I do think that nowadays, especially with you know, um, the new kind of mirrorless generations that are coming out, they're going to be so, um, so sensitive, and their low ISO performance is going to be so good and so clean that yeah. I'm sort of I mean, obviously I haven't seen any example shots yet, but I'm kind of thinking that that's probably going to be okay. Yeah. Um, the thing that would be maybe more worrisome, as I mentioned, is the you know, is this a data transfer rate, because you got to remember that every time you take a picture, um, it needs to go, it goes into the buffer of your camera mm -hmm. first, and then it gets transferred onto the card. And even if you have, um, you know, a high speed, um, card in there, there's going to be a limit as to, as to how many, how many images you can, you can, you know, cram have into they not that buffer. Have they not given an indication as to how many frames per second it's going to be able to take? My old Nikon, I think it does six or seven frames. Um, every second, and then when that's been going a few seconds, it starts to slow down because the buffer's full. Yeah, and that's I mean that's exactly that's the problem that you normally run into. They haven't really given any indication because Nikon haven't really officially announced that camera yet. It's okay. just you know it's sort of the rumor mill that's going. But I mean, typically, you know, when usually if you look at other examples like the Sony's or the Canons, you know, if, if if you're looking at like a, a 61 megapixel sensor, which by the way, Sony um, Nikon use Sony sensors. Um, so they're probably going to be comparable in mm. terms of performance, just generally. Mm. I mean, broad, you know, broadly speaking. Um, but uh, you know, it's also you know, if you look at the D, the new um, uh, the Nikon D five, for example, um, you know, those kind of pro level sports DSLRs. Um, what you'll find is is that usually the um, the pixel count is going to be slightly lower. Mm -hmm. You know, um, on those sensors, it's just because that'll allow you to um, to take more images uh, more rapidly, and to, you know, you'd be able to fill up that uh, that buffer with um, with more pictures. And, you know, if you're shooting like a football game or something like that, um, or any kind of sports event or something, you know, you want to get as many frames as you can because the more frames you get, the higher your chances of of getting a really cool shot, yeah. especially with stuff that's that's moving really fast. So you don't really want to be limited by either the buffer size on your camera or the speed at which um, you can take pictures because you know it'll just limit your output. Um, but if you're doing studio photography, for example, none of that matters. You know, 
it's uh so there it's irrelevant you know mm. you set up the shot you take shot you know by the time you set up for the next shot that that image that data is gone through the buffer straight into your card or you know if you're um, if you're tethering straight into your hard drive so by the time you wait to take the next shot all of that's gone already so you, you never really have a problem with yeah. um, with with data rate or data transfer like that gotcha. um so how does the how does that 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 sensor size um because obviously the dual slot is different but how does that sensor size compare to the the z6 and the z7 um i'm not sure what the megapixel count was on on those um because depending on how much else they end up changing obviously with the z8 I, I, perhaps it might still be appropriate for depending on what people shoot to still go for the six or the seven yeah, so with the, the Z6 and the Z7, um, so the Z6, so if in my head, is, that's kind of the equivalent of the D750 in a way. You know, it's about a, it's a 24 and a half megapixel sensor. Um, that's usually really good um, for, you know, low light photography. It works really well. Uh, the mm-hmm. D750 is actually, it's a, you know, it's a classic um, concert photography, low light body. Um, works much better than the uh, D810, which is a slightly higher um, output, but... Doesn't really work as well, and the, the Z7 is in the 45, 46 megapixel range. Okay, so it's a it's a higher resolution camera, which again is going to work really well um, for studio photography, landscape photography, you know, all that kind of stuff. Anything that doesn't move very fast, essentially, mm-hmm. you know, anything that's big. Um, if you're doing like large landscape prints, for example, you know, um, a camera like the like the Z7 uh, might work really well for you. Anytime you're not in a low light situation, um, you know, a higher resolution camera is, is, um, is useful. Um, mm. having said that I'm kind of contradicting uh, what I said earlier about the, the Z8, but I do think that they've probably uh, moved on in that generation. So, um, it'd be Makes interesting sense. to check out, um, it'd be a great kind of marriage of, you know, a higher resolution sensor, a dual card slot. Um, much higher video performance. That's the other thing that kind of really caught up massively with Canon uh, when it comes on when it comes to the the video performance, uh, and with Panasonic, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and so I'll be interested to see what uh, what comes out of that. So if all those rumors are true, this could really mean that you know um, maybe there, there might just be quite a few people who might think twice about changing to Sony or you know, or something like that, away from yeah. Nikon. Uh, this might just be the camera that might do that for them. We'll just we'll just have to wait and see and see what the mm-hmm. the actual specs are when they when they properly announce it officially. But yeah, it could be could be one of those cameras that uh, that saves that you know customer fall off. Gotcha. That's cool. Well, you know, talking about new cameras um, that are coming out. As you know, I shoot on um, a GH5S, um, and the Panasonic rumor mill has also been going that the GH6 um, will be announced by Panasonic in due course. I think there was uh, some uh, show that was supposed to happen, which has been cancelled or moved due to the coronavirus, okay. um, where some more details were due to come out. So little is still known, but what I have seen is that... Um, so for those who don't know, the GH5, the different, the main differences between the GH5 and the GH5S and uh, is that the GH5 has in-body um, stabilization uh, and it has a 20 megapixel 
sensor, which is pretty standard for micro four thirds cameras. Okay, but the GH5S doesn't have in-body stabilization. Okay, so you think automatically it's a negative, but what it does have, and it also has a 10 megapixel sensor, which is quite small, really. But the reason I went for that over the GH5 uh, is because with that smaller sensor, as we we're just kind of indicating, um, the low light, light performance is generally better. But what they've been able to do is set two base ISO levels. Okay. Oh, okay. So you can have a base ISO on the GH5S at, um, you, I'm going to get this wrong and I am, uh, I want to say it's 2,500 ISO. You can set that as a base ISO, so it's it's um, it's got the least amount of noise at two thousand five hundred. Okay, so if you're going into low light and you need it cranked to two and a half thousand or higher, you're getting the best performance from that sensor. But they've also said it that if you're in daylight, its other base ISO is um, I believe, and someone's going to correct me. I think it's four hundred. I always forget because there's a difference when you've got uh, whether you're using log or not the mm -hmm. the base isos change so i always get it wrong um, but it's around about 400 so you've got that as well so that's why i use the gh5s over the gh5 for its low light performance significantly better and mm. um, so the gh6 is apparently going to have and they don't know what it's going to have a larger sensor possibly up to the 40 range where that may, or you know, much like the Z8, um, that they may still be able to have the same level, if not better, performance in low light. We don't know. Who knows right now? Or this might be a more of a replacement for the GH5, where it doesn't have such good low light performance, but is more more suited to a photographer than perhaps a videographer. Um, the other thing that they're going to be able to do, which really caught my eye. Um, is be able to, they're likely going to introduce, they already do 4K, but they're likely going to introduce 6K and 8K raw um, recording as well. So full information. Um, that's really, really interesting. Really, really interesting. Um, you know, as we've discussed, um, you know, sort of outside of the podcast, I have been interested in looking at potentially moving away from my GH5S and looking at the, the latest camera, uh, Canon mirrorless, perhaps even the, the new Nikon mirrorless as well. But if this GH6 performs as well as the GH5 or better and still gives you that 6 and 8K, that may be a route that I end up going down. Um, you know, taking photographs on this occasionally, I'm not overly thrilled with the quality that comes out. It's okay, but it's not great. It's not nearly as good as I, I would want my photographs to come out. So here's the thing I always wanted to know about, um, about 4K or 6K or 8K um, and so on in terms of resolution. Now, a lot of cameras, almost every camera you buy these days can shoot in 4K. And with the slightly newer cameras that are coming out, you know, a lot of them can do 6K or 8K. That's like the latest thing. Um, and um, so I'm getting the feeling that there's a bit of a race going on maybe maybe in a couple of years we'll talk about 10k or 12k or whatever <laughs> and um and despite that we're still viewing all of that on a you know on a tv or on a phone that has a considerably um lower resolution yeah 
So whilst when we talked about this last time, you know, whilst it's useful from a filmmaking perspective to shoot in a higher resolution because you can crop in and, you know, it'll still look good. Like if you're shooting in, I don't know, in 6K mm -hmm. um, and you crop in, and if somebody watches that on a 4K monitor or a TV or whatever, then it'll still, uh, you know, look like full resolution. Um, but do you think devices are going to go up in resolution? Like, for instance, you know, if you think about like an iPhone or something mm -hmm. like that, um, these screens seem like really high resolution already. Do you think this this is going to be um, a move for like maybe phone manufacturers to compete on um, on resolution and or does that even make sense? What do you think about that? Good point, and well, I'm surprised it hasn't started already. Um, you know, because it it seems like a to me it seems like a logical natural progression for manufacturers to start doing. Um, you know, we're mm. yeah, I, I only got my first 4K TV not a year ago. And you know that that's really new for me, and now it's become so normal to be able to see Netflix films in in 4K. Uh, it, I'm surprised that not more people already have that, and they don't. You know, I know people who don't have 4K TVs. I know loads of people that don't have 4K TVs. Um, it's taken a long time for people to catch up, so I do wonder then whether manufacturers are just you know, I'm sure the tech's already there for your iPhone screen to display 8K um, or your TV to display 8K, but they're holding it all back so when consumers are ready for it. And I'm not sure we are. And they've got to do it at the right time. If you, you know, I like in all of these kind of things to um, 3D films. And for me, I, I never liked it. It gave me a headache. Um, <laughs> and ah, yeah. it's never take, really taken off at all because it wasn't they didn't do it very well to start with um the first well and that was the thing it was a big thing wasn't it at one time it was like oh yeah. you know everything's going to be 3d and like give it a few years and like every tv set is going to be 3d and we're going to have like 3d phones and blah blah yeah. none of that's happened and you know that's you know. it still may end up going that way but they they, the, they didn't develop the tech well enough before they initially released it in my opinion if you think uh, what was the first one I ever saw? Avatar was the first film I saw in 3D and it was rubbish. Yeah, same actually, yeah. It was no good in my opinion. And that just turned me off it completely. I saw some live sporting events and a couple other films like that. And it was like, mm, great. And I've got to wear these glasses and all that. And that, it just did never really worked for me. And I think that was the same for a lot of people. So I mm. suspect, hopefully they're learning lessons from that and they're developing the tech a little bit further and more cheaply as well, to really more to the point, before they start releasing it out there and making sure it's readily, yep. readily available. So perhaps cameras being able to do this now is an indication that some of those devices will be coming onto the market in you know the next couple of years. One of the things that's always annoyed me about 3D was that, I mean, you know, it's like you say, some, some movies you watch and it's terrible. And then with other movies, you know, it's okay. Like I, I saw Star Wars in 3D, mm -hmm. um, and some of the scenes were great. Like there were some of the battle scenes were phenomenal. Like in 3D, you got a really good um, sort of sense of you know. There's one scene where the camera appears like it's mounted right out outside on on a uh, on an X-wing fighter, and that sort of dives into battle. And you literally you get that sense of depth, and oh, wow. like you literally think you're like stuck to the outside of that X-wing, yeah. and it's a great moment. But for the most part, I mean, 99% of the movie, you kind of forget that it's 3D. And at that point, you're going to go, well, what's the point, man? You know, if it's if it's so, you know, 
immersive that you sort of forget that it's happening, then what's the point? Mm. <laughs> you know, and this is kind of what I what I found with three D. Uh, so what you're left with then is is that um, you know uncomfortable feeling of having to wear glasses, and yeah. it's just you know it, it hasn't really for me personally it hasn't really done it. Yeah, um, and so we. The only reason why we watch Star Wars in 3D, by the way, is just family tradition. Um, my wife and I, we, whenever a new Star Wars movie comes out, we watch it in 2D and in 3D because just simply for the, the sole reason that if we don't watch it in 3D in the cinema, we're most likely never, ever going to have the opportunity to see it in 3D ever again. Mm. So just for that single reason alone, uh, we spend the money to um, to watch it in 3D. Admit it to the franchise. Other than that, it doesn't, you know, we don't particularly like it. It's just, to, yeah. you know, because we're fans. Yeah. We do. You know, the force is strong in my family. But one thing we mentioned um, in the previous episode or, or the one before was, um, yeah, it's kind of, what's the point? I like watching 4K. It did take me a little bit of time to get used to it. So I wasn't used to constantly seeing stuff in 4K. Because it also, all, all, it, Cross it borders that line of hyper real, and it almost doesn't feel real to a certain extent. But it's just on that level where actually mm. I, re I really enjoy it. I do think having seen 8K footage, whether I was seeing it on an 8K device or not, didn't look real, and mm. I didn't enjoy it the same way that I enjoy watching 1080p or 4K. Now that might be part of me just getting older and being stuck in my ways a little bit as to what I like to see. And that's fine. <laughs> I'm the and 1080 generation. <laughs> but maybe the younger generation will get so used to seeing stuff in um, in 4K that's so normal. And then they start seeing mm. stuff in 8K if it, if it starts coming out properly. Maybe then there is a market for it. Who knows? It's, you know, I always, I always feel this with... Um with like 4K uh, TVs or 4K footage or like even 5K footage is that you see some things like, um, I saw something the other day, which is like a flyover of, I think it was a drone flyover of the Amazonian rainforest. Mm -hmm. And you could see, you know, the the tree, the treetops and, um, and everything. And it looked amazing. It was so sharp, you know, and high res and you could see all the details and it looked great. The minute a human works in the frame, it's just there's too much detail. You don't want to see all of every pore yeah. of somebody's, you know, somebody's nose or something. You just don't yeah. want to see any of that. It's not that's not what movie magic is about, really, yeah. in a way, you know. So it's you know, whenever I whenever I watch um like a movie in 4K or or sports in 4K, I don't find that particularly I don't know. For me, that's not the kind of look that I personally like. Absolutely. You know? And but <laughs> I remember when I first started getting uh, HD, regular HD channels on uh, on on my on my TV, and yeah, I had people come around and what what you know, watch TV or watch it in HD rather than you know, what was standard definition. Yeah, it still exists, and they didn't like it. But oh, I still even that doesn't look real. So you know, there's just that conditioning time, I guess. Um, but I'm, like you, I see some of the the landscape type footage. And I think, God, that looks incredible. Then some right. a person comes into shot and go, don't like that now. That doesn't look so good. Really yeah, doesn't. Yeah. That said as well, I've seen some of the, um, you know, I like watching some uh, a lot of the nature programs and like Blue Planet and 
you know, mm-hmm. all those Attenborough style ones. And I watched one, um, it was a couple of months ago now. And uh, there were most of the shots throughout the entire episode that I saw looked phenomenal, looked so good. But then there were these handful in there, maybe 20% of them. We go, I'm not convinced that's CGI. It looked yeah. so odd to me that I don't know where they done, maybe their post-processing on those particular clips just wasn't as good. I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Or they went too good with it. But it just, it looked, it didn't look real at all. It looked like it was CGI. <laughs> maybe it was. <laughs> but I hope not. Um, and I did not like it at all. Um, I don't know. We'll yeah. see. It's a, it's a weird thing. I don't know. It may just make us sound like some really old, you know, a bunch of really old guys <laughs> talking about yeah. the way things used to be back in <laughs> low-rest television, <laughs> you know, yeah. and everything was better, <laughs> you know, back then. <laughs> oh, I'm okay with that. <laughs> but yeah, you know, yeah, it's like, uh, it's funny. But yeah, I mean, it's, um, it really is, it's a different look. And I think that's kind of where, you know, I sometimes, um, I sometimes stop and think like, oh, I, I'm not liking that look. Yeah. Um, you know, when you go to, well, back in the days when you could still go out to a TV store, you know, and you could just walk in surrounded by lots of other people, you know, do you remember those days? Vaguely. Yeah. Vaguely. <laughs> you know, when you, but you know, when you walk into like a TV store and you see all those TVs on the wall and you immediately, you know, you're drawn to some uh, brands or screens or something because you think like, wow, this looks amazing. And you see the exact same thing happening on a different screen. You don't think, you know, that's not good at all. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Why would anybody buy this TV? It looks terrible. Very. You know? So, um, yeah, it's, it's one of these things. Um, I don't know. As you know, we're very low tech on a TV front. So, <laughs> you know. How is your black and white TV? It's... Um, the CRT. Color is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> CPU. It's great. Nice. We have um, our TV. Well, this is a little, a little story. So our TV is uh, so old. It's I mean, it's not it's not 4K. It's probably, I think it's 1080 HD or something. A couple of years ago, probably about three, actually about three or four years ago, there was a bug that managed to get into the TV and it managed to, to get into the screen and it's now pretty much in the center of the screen and that's where it passed away and that's where it still is <laughs> so on our tv there's always a bug in, in the center of the screen that's amazing and it's hilarious because you know you watch a movie and you'd hear like you know my kids or, or myself sometimes you go like oh she's gonna bug her nose <laughs> wow i was sure <laughs> this bug is when still you there, first yeah. said bug i was sure you were talking mm-hmm. like a, a a malfunction a tech related thing no it's an oh, actual no. no no an actual bug an actual insect crept into that thing um and it's about it's um maybe half a centimeter long wow and it it uh just yeah it it spent its last moments of life probably watching something like east sanders <laughs> probably not you're, you're better but, you than know. me i would have had that tv open to try and get rid of it probably broken it and be forced to buy a new one See, and this is how, like, how low-tech TV we are. That's, that literally happened four years ago, and we've never bought it. <laughs> um, but, you know, the reality, of course, is, I mean, as you know, we don't actually, as a family, we don't have a TV service because we don't, we don't really watch TV. We watch, you know, mm. Netflix, 
Um, oh, and I have another Netflix rant there in just a second, by the way. But you know, we don't we don't actually really uh, watch live TV. So um, you know, we watch um, you know shows on Netflix or uh, um, Disney Plus or something like that. Um, it just kind of suits our lifestyle uh, better because we can just you know watch things whenever we feel like we want to watch something. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, the kids are at an age where they watch the things that they want to watch on their devices and it just, you know, makes it easier. But, um, but yeah, Netflix. So Netflix reduced their, um, their, uh, broadcast resolution, um, at the very beginning of the, the lockdown. And so they stopped, uh, broadcasting stuff or trans- transmitting stuff in, um, in 4k and, uh, yeah. and the whole menu system and everything has gotten really kind of, Juddery, if you know what I mean. I don't. Do you have the same experience? Uh yeah, a little really sticky um, and like. I, I've oh, noticed. Cool. I, I noticed that more, and this I've always noticed this more with Amazon Prime. I find it just takes a little while to go. Oh God, come on! Yeah, the next it, film. you're right. But Netflix even worse. And you know what works perfectly smooth? Disney Plus. Of course, it does. That's what I'm saying. Because it's got Star Wars on it. Super smooth. This is not an advert, and we're not sponsored by Disney. But Disney Plus, super smooth. <laughs> yeah, buttery, Absolutely. buttery smooth. <laughs> Very yeah. buttery smooth. Yeah. <laughs> right. That's it for this week's Camera Shake podcast. Um, hope you enjoyed it, and uh, we're looking forward to um, to having you tune in again um, next week, Steve. Oh, be great to have you again. Um, in the meantime, you can uh, you can follow us on Facebook. That's facebook.com forward slash camera shake podcast. Um, that's also where we're going to announce um, all the details for our weekly um, photo and video chat on Zoom. So uh, just you know, hit us up on Facebook. Again, facebook.com forward slash camera shake podcast and all the details should be there. Um, if you're interested in talking about photography, projects, uh, shooting technique, gear, whatever it is, you know, just join us every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Uh, so without further ado, goodbye, everybody. I hope you have a great week, uh, whether you're in lockdown or not. Um, if not, send us some photos from the outside world because, you know, we haven't seen that for a while. Um, but yeah, so hopefully see you again next week. Until then, bye from us. 